Okay, but I guess for the last time in uh, <clears throat> 2019. Let me try that again. <laughs> for the last time in 2019. Uh, we welcome you to an episode of Swing Thoughts, although it won't be the last Swing Thoughts of 2019. I'll explain that. Uh, I'm Howard. Tim's here, of course. Tim O'Connor, Humble and Tim, that type of thing. We haven't spoken to one another, you and I, for uh, quite some time. How you doing? I'm I'm well. It, it has been a month. I've missed you so. But here we are. Reunited. Here we are. Well, it's nice to hear your voice. It's nice to actually see you. I've, I've spoken to you on the phone uh, a couple times, but you've been uh, busy, tremendous uh, fall campaign for the O'Connor business model. Yes, and, gallivanting. Uh, gallivanting across this great nation. And uh, are you feeling better? Because I spoke to you a couple days ago. You said you weren't feeling well. Yes, thank you for inquiring. I'm feeling much, much better. Yeah, I was on four trips in two and a half weeks. And when I got back, my body went, well, you don't have the good sense to slow down. So we'll just conspire to slow down for you. So I just got a cold and all that. and it. Uh, but I'm crawling back to health. So thank you. Can I ask you uh, uh, a favor? That I just noticed that microphone... Mm-hmm. Seems a little lower than oh, normal. Okay. Would that be? Uh, just, if, is there any way to raise it up? Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, we can hear you. You sound great. I just wonder if there's a, I, a little bit more that. bottom end there on the uh, Tim O'Connor. You know. here, here, how there you go? go. How's that? Let me hear that. Yeah, it you, sounds great. You're like, you're like the host, traffic cop. Audio, audio technician. So um, you had some bronchitis, you said. You were a little bit stuffed up. Well, and, yeah, but it was... I, no, I'm sorry. I said you had bronchitis. Yeah, you, you right. diagnosed me, Dr. I diagnosed Black. you over the phone. So, That's right. Because you said that so the cold was I, in your it, chest. It might have been. I didn't go get drugs or anything. I'd just been like, ugh. Having, I, I just I have these, like, spasms every once in a while. I'm talking away, and all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, I have to go away and almost die for a minute. And then I come back, and I'm fine. So I'm hoping that one of those those little episodes doesn't inflict itself oh, on listen, us. Man. We're all friends here. If it does, oh. go ahead. Um, How have you been? This, you uh, been? this program is brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas. I've been great. I'll tell you in a second. Uh, we want to thank our friends at TaylorMade and Adidas. You know, Nick and uh, Kevin at uh, TaylorMade and uh, our friends over at uh, Adidas, Casey David. Yeah, Leslie Hawkins. Leslie Hawkins, we certainly appreciate your support. And, yeah, um, yeah, I want to explain what I said off the beginning of the show. I know it sounded cryptic. I said this will be the last recording of Swing Thoughts for 2019. It won't be the last episode because for the first time, whilst Tim was traveling, I had set up a couple interviews, one that took me a long time to get, and so we sort of decided as a team that I would go ahead and record that one with a guy named Eric Corgano, who was just a guy I plucked. I sort of went down an internet search golf thing where I just came across his videos and he's become a pretty big star on Instagram and on YouTube. And he's one of those internet guys that has built a golf business, bringing people from all over the world to a place in Pennsylvania called Bethlehem. Ironically enough, for this time of the year, 
Wow. So he, I'm gonna. So what's going to happen is uh, we're going to put this podcast out this weekend. People will enjoy it, and then I uh, later before the year's over, I'll put out the Eric Car- Corgano interview. And another one I wanted you to be there for that you weren't able to, unfortunately, was my older brother David who is a psychologist. He works in the world of big-time corporate training all over the world, but he's a big golf nut, loves our show, and has, I thought, an interesting take about how the work he does with people in interpersonal skills and and things like that in the office and in in corporate life, how they transfer to golf. Very much like your, what's the uh, one workshop you give that's very much corporate? Walk your talk. Walk your talk. So he's a guy like that, and uh, unfortunately, you weren't here. I know you, but I'll tell you what, you're going to love it. I think everyone will enjoy the conversation, but you particularly will have a, I think he'll really resonate with you because of the work that you're doing. Cool. Yeah, and I really look forward to that. I think that's so cool, just on on, on a level that you got to interview your brother. I, know, I, know. I think that's so cool. Yeah, it was kind of weird, but it was fine. Yeah. It was fine. Um. So, yeah, golf-wise, uh, you've been talking golf with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, the most interesting thing golf-wise that way was a couple of weeks ago, I was in Vancouver, and I was invited there because largely because I coach the University of Guelph golf team. And this woman, TJ Alley, she's an LPGA professional. Um, she runs a program called Golf uh, Zone Golf zone golf in vancouver so she's got it's not unlike uh sean casey's program at club link and other junior kind of elite junior programs and so these kids range in age from like seven kind of 17 18 and most of these players are looking to get placed uh on scholarship in the united states or play canadian golf so it was really cool playing kind of the role of of expert and coach with these kids, um, as I say, the, the broad range of ages, but really good players. Uh, she runs an amazing program and just really interesting to see how these kids, they have a lot of the same stuff that adults do in terms of stories of, about themselves and belief systems. And so working with them on stuff like that was really, really interesting. Now, when you were in Vancouver, this was only a couple of weeks ago, right? Correct. Now, I lived there for a very short time. I lived there for a couple of years, 80 to 82-ish. But I, I, I can't remember. I'll, I do have a, a memory of going out to hit balls in February one year when it stops uh, raining. Was the weather golfable when you were there? Um, well, it was golfable because the kids were at a range that had heaters, just like you know, in, in Ontario, Quebec, and probably Paris, you have these like heat lamps. Yeah, the hockey heaters and the uh, curling heaters. Yeah. Exactly. So they had those all across this range. And so we did some range work with the kids. And, and uh, it was when you got there, it was a little chilly to start, but not unlike, say, Whistlebear Academy that you and I yeah, went yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can hit balls, but once you get going, so so if you're the coach standing there, you're cold. <laughs> the, kids, the kids swinging golf clubs, they're warm. Um, all right. Well, for me, uh, just golf-wise, uh, a couple weeks ago, I got back from the uh, Club Link uh, Florida Pro-Am. It was great. Uh, hadn't and that I sort of played the last round of golf in Ontario, I think, the first week of November. I think my last round 
of golf. I think we talked about. Have I, I've spoken to you since I played at the National there. That was my last time. No, I don't think we have. That was your last round at the Nash. Yeah. Um, nice way to end your twenty nine. It was a great way to end. I got. I've only played nine holes. Uh, it's a doesn't matter. Anyway, but but I but basically September, October, November is when I kind of work on start to work on whatever little swing changes during the season. I I just sort of maintain my game. Anyway, I got a chance to work uh, pretty hard November. I worked a lot on my swing, and then I went away to Florida and I played five days in a row. And I must tell you, I didn't score. You know, terribly well, but I didn't score terribly bad either. What I did do was for five days, I uh, golfed my ball pretty nicely, meaning that I uh, was fairly stress-free, you know, as golf can be. My uh, dispersion was better. I had a couple of rounds, Timmy, where I hit like 13 fairways, which for me is big. I had one round, I hit 13 and 14 fairways. I hit 15 greens. Doesn't matter what I shot. <laughs> my uh, last round, I made five birdies at Eagle Trace, which is a very difficult golf course. I also made some others as well. But overall, I just enjoyed myself. I had a couple of episodes where I was like, come on, Howard, this is just for fun. You know, I had to stop us. Well, a little bit. Patterns a bit. I'll tell you, the day I shot, uh, the day I made, uh, the day I hit the ball uh, around that golf course in Florida, windy weather. And I hit 15 greens and shot 70, I don't even know what it was, 77. I had two doubles and I had a four putt. And so I left and, and I doubled the last hole after having really played nicely and, and not making anything, made no birdies that day. Uh, but I was a little bit pouty on the way home. I definitely had a few. I needed a few minutes to get get my head right. <laughs> even, even an enlightened spiritual oh yeah self i don't care you make you double the last hole you're you're moping you're oh, yeah. you're going out of there with a bottom lip you could hang a suit on oh my god and but i came up with this um from it from the ashes uh the, the phoenix the phoenix of this notion came to me because the next day i was like okay well, i'm not doing that again but i yeah. thought you know there's nothing wrong like golf is there's always moments in golf that are, that are going to sting but the secret is they can't stay. And so during the round of golf, you know, I was in total present mode. But when it was over, that stung for a few minutes. You know, it didn't it didn't ruin my day. But, yeah, I was definitely a little bit like, God damn it. And uh, the next day was the last round. And I just said, you know, because it was not only the last round of my golf season, it is the last round of golf. That was going to be my last round of golf in my 50s and I said to myself no matter what happens today I want you to and it's going to sound hokey but I said to myself on the last round I want you to rejoice on every shot the opportunity you have to create something in this moment I know it sounds hokey but I no, will t- no, it's, uh, it, you know but I will yeah, tell you that that was uh, uh, a different level of consciousness like you and I would say me um, yeah, that could be hokey, but you know what? I think it's fantastic, and, and and that's how I think in so many ways in life you could just have a better time if you have gratitude. You right. hear gratitude, gratitude all the time. So that uh, last round was a very pleasant, pleasant day, mid-20s, wearing shorts, light winds. And like I said, I made a lot of birdies that day. I also had five three-putts that day. 
And three of those three putts were like 70-foot putts. Those You're going to three-putt some of those. A couple were birdies I tried. I was making a lot of birdies, so I was trying to make more birdies, which I like, that, that attitude of I'm not trying to cozy this up. I had like a 15-footer. I hit it five feet by and missed it. Missed it a couple times, but I was trying to make the birdie. And so like none of it... None of it was anchoring me and weighing me down and all that other bullshit that we all go through as golfers. And I can tell you on the last hole, I had about a 70-yard shot to a par 5. It was, a, you know, we're playing a uh, shotgun, so whatever it was. It wasn't the 18th hole, but it was my 18th hole. And I said to the guy in the cart, I said, well, this is my last uh, full swing of the 2019 season, my last full swing of my 50s. You know what I'm going to do, Ernie? <laughs> I said, I'm going to try and sink it. And uh, I hit it to about a foot. But wow. I, I, but I just thought it was kind of cool because I'm like, you know what? Why not? Why not make that your intention? And uh, and I thought, isn't that interesting that by my intention being to put it in the hole, uh, my dispersion was pretty close. Now it was a nice swing, but it was like it was funny how your brain can do that, how it can funnel your thoughts in a positive way because as you you very well know, as we both know, it can funnel it in negative ways too. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, I don't know what to add to that because that was just so brilliant. Five rounds of golf. Never, uh, never shot over 80, but I never shot really low either. Uh, 75, six or something. And, and it was fine. I uh, even got out of my comfort zone. I went out for like wings and beers and stuff with guys. You know, it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> it's not my, yeah, yeah. It's not my thing, you know. But I sat around at a sports bar and pretended to watch the basketball game and hockey. I'm like, oh, this is great. And all that stuff that people. Did you, add, did you, did you do any like pregame preparation, bone up on stats of some of the guys who'd be playing so you can every once in a while provide a witty <laughs> you know, insight? Well, of course. Uh, he leads the NBA in ways he can hurt you. That's right. Well, actually, it's funny because there was about 12 of us one night and, and I was sitting next to a couple people and uh, quietly one of them. Sort of said, "Hey, I really like your podcast, uh, you nice. and Tim, the golf podcast." And I said, "Oh yeah." yeah. And then he quietly asked me a golf podcast type question. The next thing you know, uh, all the men there uh, were listening in on our conversation, and it was the kind of conversation golfers don't normally have about golf, which is about feelings and shame and getting in your own way, the conversations we have here on the show. And I found it interesting because for a few minutes there, we stopped watching the game and we had kind of a little mini share circle there. Whoa. Oh, yeah. It was pretty interesting. It was pretty interesting because it was the kind of conversation you don't normally hear in that in that setting. And I and I found it fascinating because because I feel so strongly and passionately about these things. It turns out others do as well. Right, but you know what I'll uh, what I'll ask is my, well, my sense is, and I'll run it by you, is that what you basically set up because you and this other guy were having this conversation, and it's straight up, and probably that other guy was he was really digging it, and he and he was in essence giving off this energy of, of safety. He felt good. He's okay, and that you're not. He's giving out this stuff, and you're not being sarcastic or, you know, the stuff that guys do sometimes, you know, like, oh, suck it up, buttercup type of stuff. And the other guys went kind of subconsciously, oh, this is this is a safe zone. I can talk about some cool stuff here. So, and you gave him permission. I don't know. How's that land for you? Yeah, it's all true. You know, it's interesting, too, and I'm sure you've 
experience this experience this uh, a lot with the work that you do uh, with the Mankind Project, which is this. You know, there was a few right around us. I'd say three or four that were right because I was right. Strangely enough, I was right in the middle of the table and uh, the center of the table. And uh, but there's always a few on the periphery that you can just see that they're fighting to think you're not that you not that anyone said, oh, this is stupid. But you can just see the people that don't have that don't want to participate because it's almost like it's too real. <laughs> it's too it's too raw. It's too big a risk. It's too big a risk to kind of weigh in. And that was fine. Like I didn't. Like I said, the conversation started innocently, and then it lasted quite some time. And because there was a couple people off to my right that were re- are really into this stuff, but had never really had the opportunity, I guess, to share or talk about it with me. Anyway, it was really fascinating, and I really enjoyed. That was one of the highlights for me is just having that conversation with these guys. That's awesome. That's really really cool. I think that in whether it's golf or work or relationships, whatever, guys with other guys. They're aching to have these conversations, but they're scared to death too, because we're we're in a culture that basically shames you if you dare show any weakness, mm. and you're not it, that you're not portraying yourself as this kind of uh, you know Rambo or you know, or, you know whatever modern <laughs> examples we have of of macho dudes you know who suck it up and go you know. In, into the, you know, into the sunset, having you know, put the kingdom right by themselves. I I don't know. I mean, I, I that's definitely true for our uh, age range. Uh, your sons and my daughters are. I think all four of them are in their twenties. Are they not? You are correct. Yeah. So our kids are millennials ish, you know, or whatever that generation is. I think they're men. The men that are growing out of that generation are a, a little bit more comfortable with their feelings than we would have been. Um, certainly more comfortable sharing uh, their true, authentic selves. I'll agree with that. Uh, but I also like the fact you put a qualifier of little. There's still, in, in my experience, with a lot of young men as well, that there's there's still a lot of a lot of young men who feel that They've got to come across. They got it all together. Don't share your your feelings, uh, that type of stuff. Uh, but I think just I think you're accurate in terms of a general statement that millennials, uh, younger people are because because I think as a group, if you look at kind of the attitudes that they bring, say to the workplace, they they're looking for things like you know I, I listen to a lot of different things, podcasts. My wife is a controller of a of a company. And when you talk to these these young people, they're not necessarily looking to enslave themselves in a corporation or a company and and work these great crazy hours and you know this sacrifice and work hard. Kind of a lot of the boomer stuff that we got drilled into us, and that they're looking for more of life balance. And that does this make does this thing I'm doing align with my values and, and those types of things? Well, and and I. I think part of the reason is they they all <clears throat> have grown up with the internet as a first language. That social media is something they've pretty much always had, and I call it it's like the share economy. We, they're so used oh, to yeah. sharing. 
Now, some of it, a lot of it is, you know, bullshit. It's they're sharing their best selves, and that uh, that's a whole other psychosis that we really, we only we only used to do in person. You know, you put on a brave face, all those things. Whereas online, you can be anyone who you would like to be. It's all aspirational as opposed to, you know, actually. You know, your authentic being. Um, oh, yeah. Another thing that I, I thought of that week, you know, it was a great week for me again and witnessing, you know, guys up close in a golf setting. You know, golf, we, we talk about the cliche of golf being uh, doesn't reveal character and doesn't build character, reveals it. I, I never really believed in the first part. I think it does build character. But what I, what I came to see a lot, this year, and I see it in myself, but I really see it when I'm playing a lot with other golfers, and I played on the same team. We played five days in a row with the same guys. And they're oh, guys, wow. by the way, guys from my club that I've never played with. Oh, yeah. Never played with, well, no, sorry, I played I, one guy, played once before in seven years. So, but it, what, I, what I believe more than that, that uh, cliche is this, that you know, human beings spend a great deal of our energy try- hiding our true selves. Mm-hmm. We we show the world what we want them to see. What golf does is it gives you a really... It's hard to f- hide your... It, it makes it harder to hide who you really are because in that moment of golf, in those moments, without even... It, you're too vulnerable. It, it's a weird thing. It gets you... You're in such a weirdly vulnerable state that your true self pops up every once in a while. And then it goes away, but it really does. It is an opportunity to see who you really are, uh, and show people who you really are. And by the way, oh. good, good, and bad. A lot yeah. of good comes out of it, you know. Oh, absolutely. I, and, and but you're you're 100 percent correct. You know, you if you know if I see someone, well, hell, I'll talk about myself there. Uh, you know, if I've got say a downhill three footer, I know a lot of people are watching. Ooh, you know, it's, it could be a little bit scary. Um, you know, in the past, I would fixate, you know, oh, God, don't look like an idiot here, you know, all this kind of stuff, and all this tension, my brain would be worrying a million miles away. Uh, yeah, and that was close to saying worrying. It's the same thing. Both. But, but you know, uh, and, and that was that was the place of, like, no conf- not enough confidence, not enough belief in myself. So, yeah, reveals character. But, you know, but, but I've done a lot of work around it, so now I try not to care so much. But I was going to say, I, I don't know. I think there's a distinction between revealing character and, I guess, showing who you are is what that means in a different way of saying it. But but part of it is it reveals the character you're trying to hide, good and bad. You know, like a lot oh. of guys, are they come off as, you know, gruff, whatever. But in moments of golf, you can have – they can be kinder than you would – think of them or more generous than you would think of them absolutely yeah. uh, so maybe this is a good place to uh, segue to something I wanted to bring up with you because we haven't spoken about it but whether it's showing who you are revealing your real self your character coming to the surface how do you how do you think of what happened with Patrick Reed and how do you think this will follow him around well, unfortunately, I think it, it it will follow him around for a while until he shows parts of himself that this guy's in a tough spot because so many people went in go into this having a very negative view of Patrick Reed. You hang around with the average golfer and you know basically they paint him as a real dick. 
you know, the things he, oh yeah, the things he did in college and, you know, estranged from his family and all that kind of stuff. So he hasn't really laid down a, a narrative that works for him very, very well. Um, so yeah, that was a tough, you know, it was so obvious that that was, um, that was an attempt to kind of skirt the way the rules really work. And so he's going to have to, I think, really do some real kind of checking in with how he really wants to show up in the world. I think it's gut check time for this guy. It's going to take some work. I listened to uh, Hank Haney's podcast. I don't know if you recall back in the spring, Haney was on SiriusXM, uh, said a thing that a lot of people didn't like and uh, was fired from SiriusXM. But like a lot of people, the next day he took his show and made it a podcast. And I didn't like what he said in the spring, but I like what he has to say about golf, so I still listen. And what he said about Patrick Reed is that he went out and he tried to replicate that motion. And and I was surprised because Haney kind of gave Patrick the benefit of the doubt. I heard the same from uh, Dave Marr Jr., and I've heard it from other people. But it almost doesn't matter whether he meant to do it or didn't. He just read the room wrong after it was done. Because he may have legitimately, in his brain, not really kind of noticed he was doing that. It's hard for us to fathom that. But there exists a possibility, let's say. But what you said that's so true is... You know, he he comes to this already having a bit of a stink on his rep. A way huge stink. Huge stink. Yeah, more than I think even most people know. He's not a very well-liked player on the tour. and um, But he could have he handled it immediately in a different way. This is part of what I would call his work. And this could be kind of like almost like rock bottom for him in a way uh, of, of where it goes from here. Because this guy on... Unfortunately, you have to understand a key thing that I always talk about in my workshops is being you have to be responsible for yourself. And part of that is being aware of how your impacts, how your actions cause impacts and consequences. And so what he hasn't and so what he hasn't really got to understand yet is that when he does certain things, says certain things, there's an impact on himself and on others. And I just have a sense that he, uh, you know, he's 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 in a tough spot. That guy, I think he had a, I think he had a rough childhood of some kind or some turmoil that he battles all the time, and he's got this inner battle that's going on that he's got to kind of do some work on, so it becomes more uh, more conscious. And conscious people are aware of how what they do ripples out into the world. And I just don't th- I just think he's kind of blind to that. So far. Yeah, and I think because of your your point about his blindness to the way he shows up, that's why I don't think he's hit rock bottom because in order for you to hit rock bottom, you have to recognize that you're at Correct. Rock bottom. And yeah. the, the problem with a lot of, you know, I know this from the world of addiction, that unless you come to that moment, unless exactly. you, I, we all can look at him as, you know, guys, as dads, as men, 
yeah. as people of citizens of the world and say, oh, you're at rock bottom. But uh, he doesn't think so. And you could tell, uh, i tell you where he really missed, oh, yeah. uh, yep. where he mis- miscalculated that whole motion he made during the Ryder Cup as though to say, you know, he made the shoveling motion because the Australian fans were so brutal to him. Like, oh, you yeah. know, it, there was two things I wanted to say, you know, the fact that the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup was the next week sort of saved him from having to be the sole focus of this controversy. Right. But it was also bad because it was in Australia where they're like, they will take the piss out of you as a national sport. Like that was the worst place he could have gone for just nonstop chirping, as the kids like to say, to the point that his caddy got into a fight. I know, absolutely. But my sense is that... um my hope is that over time, he's going to come to understand how this is, in essence, rippled out. And I just don't think he does. Yeah. I, I, question, this is going to sound he's frankly, he's, he's immature. Yeah, what well, I was going to say, it's a young person's thing, young guy's thing. And, and when you yeah. say over time, as he grows up and grows older, uh, he might see it in a different way. Yeah, no. So I, I really think that, unfortunately, he's. He strikes me as really kind of emotionally illiterate. He, he doesn't really know maybe what he's feeling and what's going on. Because I, I just think that it's it's enough for him just to keep it all bottled in. Mm-hmm. So much is going on, and and I, I just think he's got a you know this is sort of long range diagnosis for sure. But it's the best I can do. We're talking about is, is that he's just built such very sturdy impenetrable walls around him that that prevents him from from seeing how he shows up in the world but think about an elite athlete an athlete of his level i mean the guy won the masters he's been among the top you know 20 in the world or 30 in the world even though he you know said he should have been a top 5 player ironically enough he's never done that but he's a very so those type of athletes you know they're coddled their whole lives they're told they're special their whole lives and as you say maybe he's emotionally illiterate and so that wall or all that stuff that he builds up has served him well so far he has a green jacket so in his mind again i'm only i can only assume and and it's all conjecture that maybe he thinks this is the way I need to be in order mm-hmm. to be the way I am as a golfer. But, you know, when I say that whole shovel motion was such a miscalculation because another type of human, maybe a bit more self-actualized, might have, well, first of all, reacted differently when it was when it happened. He could have said, geez, guys, you know, I didn't feel like I did that, but I'm really sorry I did, and I... And I I can assure you, I didn't feel like I was doing it on purpose, and I know I have a reputation, blah, blah, blah. But he could have come out to that Australian place and, you know, maybe had a sand, maybe had a little shovel in the practice oh. round or something. Yeah, absolutely. To show a, a little, you know, like a sandcastle thing, to show some sense of humor around it, to give you everyone. On, pardon me? You should have been on his team of advisors. Well, somebody should have advised him that this course of action you you're not going to win in the world of outrage as a currency so yeah but you're talking like you're talking like a mature person yeah. and you, you, <laughs> i'm you, very very immature mature person 
Yeah, but you, yeah, well, you, you can be you can be sixteen years old and immature, and you can be sixty four and very immature. It has That's nothing to true. do with chronological, although no. it, it does help. But uh, <laughs> I'm only laughing about how immature I actually am. Some days, yeah. There you go. Rejoice in it. <laughs> um, no, there. Uh, the walls, I think, to continue that, I think, are so up high that we can't. We don't even know what we're feeling. So many times, and people just don't. It's it's basically a mature person takes responsibility. I don't know. Mature, you talk about like you say a sixteen year old boy or or eighteen year old boy. You know, you talk about responsibility. He's running away. He had wants nothing to do with that. So someone who's who's not mature in a psychosocial way. They don't want to take responsibility. And that's why basically, you know, you look at the United States and the national sports, not baseball or football, it's litigiousness. It's everyone sues each other because no one wants to be responsible. Everyone wants to take the place of the victim. I don't know that we've ever spoken about this at any length, but the idea of why are there, why is golf uh, lore, if you will, the stories around golf, so filled with cheating stories mm-hmm. and you know everyone's got a you know everyone you know whether it's sandbaggers or you know people that you know use the foot wedge or yeah. you know on and on uh, you know it's just it's funny you know I have a lot of different theories about why men cheat in golf but part of well, the reason it it's sort of because of what we've talked about in the show for almost four years now, the things that come up, the shame, the you think you should be better than you are, you think the game should be easier than it is, you, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I've told a million stories about me playing nine holes and going to my car because I just couldn't handle it. It was too yeah. much. So I think that the game, not that it's anyone's, I'm not excusing it. I'm, I think there's an explanation why there's so much cheating in golf, even if it's just, you know, I I learned about this thing this summer. I'd never heard of this cheat before. Where I, I heard about somebody that marks their ball. Oh, yeah. And then remarks it a couple inches closer. Yeah. Like, how could that make any difference? But it's it's apparently, from what I've been told, it's it's chronic behavior. Mm-hmm. And and I never really thought about it. Like, I'm not saying I've never cheated in golf. Like inadvertently, I you know I've never gone. I've never at, at what is the opposite of inadvertently on purpose. But I'm sure yeah. I broke some rules. Um, but but that that thing just sounds psychotic to me. <laughs> it's like oh, like absolutely. even because I've got a ten foot putt. If I mark my ball an inch closer, does that really matter? I know, I know it, it, that that part. I, I I don't understand, but I think it's connected to we are in such, particularly among men. I don't know really about women so much in this regard. We're so results oriented. Everything we do, how do we measure up? How do we compare? You know, did did we win? Did we make enough money? Did we have enough sales that that month? You know, it, how do I measure up? Because ultimately, in our society. That's how a lot of men measure their worth in the world is is the results they get. Everything is so performance oriented. So my sense is, is that if you're so much looking for the pat on the head 
kind of from, from dad or from society or in that, wow, you are great. Then, then I think that people, because they're so externally driven, will, will do some things that are, are really quite um, unconscious. And, and, and they'll take risks to because everything is so much around how they're going to be perceived and that, do they measure up. So they'll take liberties with rules. And, you know, and, and I just, that strikes me as just freaking sad that someone will, will, will do that. So much is based on their own feeling of self-worth and how they'll be judged that they'll, they'll shave the rules or cut corners and, so. You know, the average male handicap in North America, I think, is 14-something. The average female is 18. I could have that wrong, but it's in, it's not. I think it's higher than that, but whatever. I don't know. I, for some reason, I think I read that recently. It doesn't matter, but it's it's not. There, there's very few single-digit handicappers. I think a lot of people that play golf uh, uh, a great amount don't know all the rules. A very uh, I, uh, There's a pretty fair amount of people that don't know any of the rules that just play and have fun, and that's great. Um, but I'm, you know, I can tell you, I've been around pretty, you know, good levels of golf for a long time and don't really, for God's sake, of course you do. I don't really see a lot of it. I mean, every once in a while I've had an experience at a provincial or, you know, a national elite tournament where I was keeping somebody's card on a hole where they made mazillions. You know, I've done that. I've made a nine, as you know, um, and then they do the whole thing. Everyone's experienced this, where you say, yeah. hey, Tim, what'd you get? And then they do the thing where they look off to the right, and they pantomime adding it up with a pretend pencil. And I'm always like, do you know exactly what you got? Because exactly. we all know exactly what that was. I mean, the odd high, high handicapper I've played with does that because you know they're not keeping track the way you and I would. But I find that amusing. A few times in tournament play, I've had to say to the guy, what'd you get? He says seven. And I pause and go, are you sure? But not in a threatening way. Are you sure? Just let's just go over it. Let's be sure so you don't break this rule. And, you know, you can always tell when guys are kind of hoping you don't do that. Yeah. You know, we've all been in that situation where somebody said what did you get and we said i had a nine and uh that's just what i got because i missed because i really tried hard in that putt for eight (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i really did um i my sense is that um accountability is something that a lot of people want to do well but don't necessarily do well and that is because they're, they, there's stuff about themselves that they just don't really want to take a good look at. So they just kind of push it off to the side and slough it off. And that, that's – so accountability in a scorecard, accountability with your partner, with your taxes, it's all in the same area. But a lot of times we don't as a culture like it very much because it makes us look at ourselves. And we don't want to do that. I don't do that. You know, like a, when this uncomfortable stuff comes up about a belief system or, or what I really want or what I really believe about myself, nah, let's just pour some alcohol on it, on that or let's check Facebook again or something. Just a lot of stuff that because we don't really like to take a look in these uncomfortable places. You know, I used to go out the odd time. I still do. 
uh, and play nine holes by myself. I'll play a couple of balls. I'll, you know, mark the, you know, ball one and two, and I'll see, you know, play against myself, or I'll play worse ball. And I remember years ago doing this, and I'm thinking, what if I, because I've never had a hole in one. Yeah. And I said to myself, once on I was do, doing this, and I said, what, like, what's going to happen if I get a hole in one on my own? And I thought, well, other people may not believe me, but right. I'll know I did. The same way that, you know, if somebody says, hey, what'd you get? Or, well, did you get five there? And you know you got six. Mm-hmm. And you might say, uh, I get five, Howard? And you kind of go, huh? But you know you got six. And even though that person gave you a break on the score, you know what, what you shot. And so I, after that, I thought, you know, if I do get a hole in one, uh, I don't care. Like, if I'm playing a par three on my own and it goes in the hole, I'll know it went in the hole. But I won't. I wouldn't tell people, hey, I got a hole in one, just to say I've got one. But yeah. I but I will tell you if I get one on my own, whether you believe me or not, it doesn't alter that it was true. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I, I think because ultimately it's what you know and yes. what you what you feel, and, and if you know it, great. And if anyone else wants to believe it or not, yeah. fine. You got no control over that. But what's interesting to me is is this is kind of what I mean about people not wanting to look in kind of like these these kind of gray areas, these places is exactly what you're talked about. So let's say someone makes a six. Someone they actually make a six, but they but. You know, no one's going to know mm-hmm. that that uh, I made a six, so I made a five because I'm going to look a little bit better. Hey, you shot 39 or something on the nice front. Right, man. exactly. But in your gut, that's like, whoa, that there's some stuff could go on there. And and that's the place of integrity is it, it, like, where are we at with this stuff? And some people will slough it off, but I think it's largely they, they slough it off because uh, it's it, quite frankly, that's too dangerous for them to, to have to kind of like figure this shit out. So they so they don't where whereas others, it's like, whoa, damn, it, that was not good. And, and that's too high a price to pay for a lot of people to 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 cheat. They know it's going to just feel terrible. It's kind of like. um you know the whole idea of people um, cheating on their wives and stuff like that—you uh, know, dangerous territory. The Catholic guilt would fucking kill me. So, <laughs> just, nope, no way. <laughs> well, let me get to—that's uh, a little bit uh, out of my uh, pay grade, but I will tell you something about the score. Um, because what I, you know, in my at my worst, I wasn't a cheater. I was just somebody that would throw clubs constantly and get mad constantly in retaliation. Because I, I, I couldn't cheat, I couldn't put down a score that I didn't get. But but I didn't. It wasn't because I was emotionally uh, mature. I was just. I would just take my frustration out on uh, uh, abuse. <clears throat> then somewhere along the lines, I don't know when it was. You know, fairly recently, actually, where. I got very excited about the fact that if I tried on every shot, that even if that best I could do was a double or a triple, the idea of lining up the putt for the seven, there's a, there's an energy you get from that that you yeah. don't get from, you know, having a shitty hole and then three putting for a triple, knowing the last couple of putts you just, you know, you just kind of, 
threw away because you wanted to show the players you were with that you're really better than this, but you've had a bad hole, so you, you don't even care. And the idea, and we've talked about this a thousand times, by portraying yourself as somebody that doesn't care, of course you really care, uh, that somehow that will show the people you're with that, uh, you know, if you tried, you would have done better. And yeah. the irony of trying is it just leads to better all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not the next hole, but it, it, it gives you some emotional equilibrium to get your game back. And, uh, you know, for the last show of 2019, I think for me, one of the greatest takeaways of golf is that if you, you know, and I, and I again, I had this thought when I was away on the clubbing trip. Why is it that there's a rhythm to how we all interact and while we're making our tee shots and our approaches and our pitches and our chips and the first putt, there's sort of an allowable time as a group that we perceive is correct. But when I have a putt, I have a four and a half footer for bogey, There, for some reason we don't see professionals do this, but amateurs don't give that four and a half footer the same amount of rhythm that they would if that was for birdie or par. Deny? Tell me, am I wrong? I don't think so. No, I think you're absolutely right. Because when I have a, a bogey putt, it's kind of like I've already failed. This is already this is already in the books. Is having gone down is not 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 good. So let's get this over with. That's it. I've already failed. I'm sorry. I'm too excited. That's exactly what it is. I've already failed, and I don't want to. I don't want this shame anymore with the group of us. So I'll get I'll, I'll get this over quickly, and then I make double. Yeah. But that's what it is. It's like because I, I, as I described, there is a rhythm to the round. But if you take, it's almost like, and no one's asking you to hurry up, but we all go quicker for the bogey putts, the double putts, the. And I always bring up the nine I made at the uh, provincials last year. But I promise you, I lined that putt up for eight. Yeah. The best I could. I I hit the hole on a five footer for eight. And uh, lipped out. And it's the old joke, well, how'd you make nine? Well, I lipped out eight. But I did. And there was, a, and, and yes, golf rewarded me on the next swing because I hit it close and made it two. But it was the, because it didn't stink. It didn't, yeah, it stung. It just didn't stay with me because I knew in my heart that I really tried. And that is what I would say for, for people. I would wish for you that you get that. It's not about the score, whether you cheated for a five or a six. It's about are you continuing to try at the same level throughout the round? And what that speaks to, and this is the last thing I'll say for you, is that speaks to somebody that is committed to the process mm-hmm. no matter what part of the round that process finds us. Yeah. Take care of process and anything, and 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 life takes care of itself in many ways. Because because in process, you're in the present moment. You're in the present moment. But I will tell you, on the last hole of that round, the second last round in in Florida, when I double bogeyed the last hole, on my second shot to the green after hitting all these fairways, I pull hooked a six iron into some crap, had to drop. And I will tell you this, what, what, you know what stung, and I'm being honest, what stung is I know I didn't try as hard as I could on that chip shot to get it up and down for bogey. And I made double because I, you know, momentarily had a snit because it wasn't that tough a, tough a pitch shot. It wasn't easy, but I could have got it close enough to have a legitimate chance at bogey had I been in process as opposed to pout because I had a momentarily like, ah, oh, shit, 
You know, well, if all spiritual leaders also a human being. Well, no, but that's that's. But if we're all being honest, those are the moments we look back, and that's why I pouted on the way back to yeah. the. You know, I even said to the guys in the car, "I'm going to need a couple minutes." <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like they were talking, I just wasn't. I was just steaming, right? But well, it was yeah, great learning, right? I was mad at myself. Yeah. Not for the shot that I pull hook, because everybody does. Good players sometimes close the club face faster than they mean to, and the ball goes left. But I didn't try on that pitch shot as if, here's the thing, if that was a par five that I'd hit next to that green in two, boy, I would have grinded on that pitch shot to get it up and down for birdie. But in that moment, after the whole day was my last hole, I, I just didn't try my best, and that pissed me off. Yeah, well... Um... What a mature young man you are! Yes, because that's so you saw, you saw what went on. And you you kind of owned your your behavior, and you went, "Well, good learning. I'm not going to do that again." And that's why it stung. It's because it went against what you hold to be true. You, what you so you didn't, in essence, walk your talk. About no, I didn't. And 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 that's the thing is, we all know you 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 have a, a great phrase about our shadows the shadowy behavior and golf yeah. is golf is filled with that shadowy behavior and when that comes up we think it's because we made double but in my case i didn't you know i i stopped momentarily from being you know being this guy that grinds out whatever the number is and i know that six isn't the best i could have done in that situation you know i just looked i just looked at it like i have failed now somehow and I'll just rip, I'll just get this over with. Yeah, well, see, what you're talking about is, when I was saying earlier in the podcast, that there's there are these areas that we don't want to go into. and But you being an enlightened individual. I'm, in quotation marks. <laughs> you know, you've, done of, no, you've done a lot of really good work and you, you know, around yourself. And, and, and the reason you're, you're you know, in, in good health these days and doing well and better in golf is because you've 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 raised your level of awareness a, around how you really look at yourself and so it's not every person who would be able to say what i was mad about was not necessarily that i double bogey but i was mad that that i didn't hold myself to the values and the th- how i really want to show up in the world and internally, like as a, as an individual, it doesn't, if other people want to make judgments, fine. You got no control of that. But that's not how you want to show up now. You've got a different way of kind of grading how you operate in the world. And so you, the learning you took about yourself was was not about oh crap, I made a double or in, in the effect of my score. Your anger was around how you showed up in the world, and that's that's really interesting. And the thing that I just wanted to connect with, you said earlier, you knew in your you knew in your heart earlier, was a way of saying that you knew from your internal experience, and that's the most important thing, really. It doesn't mean being selfish, ignoring people, but it is sort of being aware of what's really going on. What are the stories I'm telling myself? What are the thoughts? What are the belief systems that are that are at work here? That's taking control of your inner life, and that's that's and that's where it all starts. If you want to become a better golfer, better business person, whatever it is, it's taking control of your of your inner self. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, I I I agree with you, agreeing with me, agreeing with each other. There's a lot of agreements. Uh, before I let you go here, we're going to wrap up. I want to uh, 
just you know it's funny i've been reading a book this uh, last couple weeks it's taken me a long time it's very dry it was translated from uh, japanese and it's really just a book between a youth and a philosopher and in a, in a, in a funny way it's kind of all about these things we talk about but in a sort of a parable and it's and you'll love this title the title of the book is called let me just get here it's called the courage to be disliked cool the courage I'm to be down i'm writing that down the cur- I, I was saying and my girl uh rachel and i've both been reading it and we we like it but it's it's not an easy read it doesn't the story doesn't flow like i say it's translated but it's a very interesting book uh and and really that is kind of at the heart of all the as the philosopher says and it it's based on a a contemporary of freud's back in the 30s and 40s was a guy named alder and that's a, a, band, a alderian philosophy that basically says that all strife with human beings is because of our interpersonal relationships with others and and how we and a lot of what we've spoken about today is how we show up and 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 you know there's a very famous uh quote from jean-paul sartre i think i've mentioned it before that hell is other people but this book's sort of like the it continues that hell is other people and the way we act with them and the way we show up interpersonally with them part of the biggest one and we've spoken about it with cheating with self-image and all that things is it basically boils down to worrying too much what other people will think 100 percent. and you know we have had a conversation every other week for four years on this show about no one gives a shit about you your golf score and your swing and all that stuff and and we think they do and that's yeah. a, the source of a lot of anxiety as a as people but as golfers you know if you can just kind of leave the some of that behind it definitely is a a more pleasing in not just for i'm not saying for myself but it feels more like a little bit calming to not always be chasing other people's opinions of you oh my god absolutely yeah i can't add anything to that that is awesome so the courage to be disliked. Okay, it's not a golf book, but it has a lot of good golfy stuff in it. Uh, all right. Well, so as I mentioned, I'm going to run uh, a few weeks, maybe toward in between Christmas and New Year's. At some point, I'll run the uh, David Glassman, Eric Corgano uh, interviews. The uh, the holidays, you're going to have all your kids. Are they going to be around or? Uh, no, Corey's in Alberta. Corey's he's, in Alberta. Uh, yeah, he's off on a little adventure. Uh, I got. Uh, let's see, my sisters Kathleen's in Canmore, brother Pat and Banff, another brother in Vancouver. So he's hanging with those people, doing some snowboarding, and then he's off to Australia. Wow, for, for three months. So what's he going to uh, do in Australia for three months? Oh, he's going to work and meet people and have experiences that young people without debt can do. You know, <laughs> I'm. You know, are you like this? Like, I love that. It's almost weird to be jealous or to be like wow you know wouldn't yeah. you love to be a how old is he 25 25 year old kid off to australia for three months while the rest of us suffer <laughs> the, yeah. right. we're, we're staying home and grinding it in that's the, right through january february and march oh my gosh 
But uh, no, the nice thing about just our family arrangement is that everyone comes here. So it makes it very easy, including my dear, sweet 88-year-old mother. So, are you, me and your brother and all those folks are coming to? No, just my brother uh, from Vancouver. Is he, he the one that talks. likes us? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's Pat. Oh, Sean Pat's the one that likes us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I right. think John's indifferent. But, uh, okay. you know, he comes and he brings my mom and my sister Peggy who lives there. So, yeah, the people, they come to us. So, yeah, I live around. How about, you? How about in the Glassman household? Well, we do, uh, well, we do kind of a Christmas-Hanukkah hybrid. My 25-year-old who uh, moved away to seek her fame and fortune in New York City. She's coming home uh, tomorrow. Nice. Uh, December 21st, whenever, I guess I'm not 100% sure. I, I'll put this podcast up as quick as I can. But so 21st, you'll be here for a couple weeks. Uh, the Humble and Fred Show uh, recorded our uh, 30th uh, Christmas, Gift of Christmas show yesterday, the 19th. Lots of fun, lots of people, Great. blah, blah, blah. Folks, you got to listen to that. That is always just such yeah, a gas. It was fun. Um, Hilarious. So Charlie will be in town. Uh, Spencer, my other daughter, the uh, the youngest, twenty one year old, is uh, we're having Christmas Eve here uh, with uh, new girl Rachel. Not so new anymore. Uh, the four of us are going to have like a little Christmas Eve together. Then uh, Christmas morning, Rachel goes off to Stratford to see her family. My ex wife comes over. We have uh, Hanukkah Christmas dinner together. Uh, I'm going to spend a couple days with uh, girlfriend Rachel's family in Stratford, buddy of mine in Acton. I, you know, I'm really not doing. After that, I don't really have any plans. Like, it's going to be busy, but my, I'm looking forward to spending a little time with my daughter Charlie. This is the longest time I've ever. Well, you're about to experience this. This is the longest I've ever gone in her life without seeing her. It's only been a couple months, oh. but I'm I'm aware that she is going go growing. Uh, Away, do you know what I mean? She's already gone away, but she's growing away mm-hmm. in a way that I don't know that I'm ready for. <laughs> daddy cup, the daddy cup yeah. is emptying. I'm not. I didn't. I'm not sure. I'm a hundred percent ready for the fact that she's uh, growing away, but she's fine, and, and it'll be great seeing them all. And That's a, I love that phrase she came up with: "growing away." Yep, she's That's growing away. Mm-hmm. Just needs, uh, you know, you can figure that out on your own. Did you say act in there? Did you in the yeah? Now I'm going to go see my buddy who lives north of Acton. We're going to spend some time there for, uh, you know, just that's uh, going to be out and about. Yeah, I lived in uh, Rockwood, which is like. That's uh, where he lives. He lives in Rockwood. Really? I Well, we spent 15 years there. That's where the boys largely grew up. And uh, But all the people who lived in Rockwood, we looked at the folks from Acton as kind of sketchy. Oh, yeah. Well, he lives on an acreage just out there on one of those. The tracks. On one of those lines, you know, one of the uh, whatever those lines are called, or Hermosa line, and all this stuff. He he doesn't oh, yeah, live in the yeah. town. He's got like sixty six acres. He's we, oh, wow. he lives on his own. We call him the Unabomber. He um <laughs> he likes to be isolated. You think I don't like people? Uh, anyway, we're we're spending some time there. And uh, well, I just to, wrapping it up here. We have a couple minutes. Uh, uh, we'll be back, I guess, in January. We're going to continue to do this thing. Oh no, of course. All right. Of course. Yeah, so when did we start doing this thing? Was that 2015? Hold on, Phil. Oh, Phil, when did we start doing this podcast? He says, I think it was December of 2015. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I think that's when we started to do the... Um, the practice ones. The practice ones, in which you went, hmm, let's see. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
And I'm like, I'm not sure if I can uh, bring this kid up to speed quickly enough. Uh, exactly. And plucking right. him out of the minors. Uh, I would wish you nothing but the best, the happiest of holidays uh, for Jesus' birthday and beyond. Uh, 2020, hard to believe that there's a new decade. Hard to believe I'm turning 60. How What's that? Give me a 60 seconds on turning 60. What's it like? Will I be all right? Will I, will I, will, will I will immediately get picked up by wheel trends? <laughs> and yeah, meals on wheels. And um, you'll start to maybe pay more attention to those ads with Mike Ditka about incontinence. Mm. Maybe. But maybe. I think that's only if you want to go to a casino and <laughs> for two hours. But no, you'll be fine, young man. I you'll know, I know. You know you're, you're, you're a conscious dude, you know? Yeah, you'll be fine. You do stand-up and stuff. You, you couldn't do stand-up unless you had some kind of perspective on the world. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of stand-up, actually. The last, uh, you know, the golf season kind of starts to wind down, and the stand-up season started kind of overlapping. And I basically, for the last six weeks, I've been doing a couple of spots a week. That's great. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. My, my brother and his uh, lady friend and uh, some people came to see me last Friday night, and that's always, it's always a little bit more. It always heightens the, um, the nervousness a little bit. And there's did, we a, talk about, did we talk about your experience at the Yuck Yucks in Burlington and about 25 oh, guys yeah. from yep. Karen came? At about, like, yeah, that was cool, too. Was that, like, to perform like to a room, like, with a room with a ton of friends in it? What's that like? Um, you know, it's like you, you know when you played hockey as a kid. If you were, uh, it was a big game, and you were nervous before the game. As soon as you got onto the ice for the first shift, it, the nerves kind of go away. Stand up is similar uh, in that um, I was really aware that night, last Friday and a, a few weeks ago, when all the Glen Karen guys came to see me. I, I was very aware that they were there. Uh, up to and including the moment I was walking up onto the stage. But as soon as I take the microphone, it's almost like that other gear that you have. Or not gear. That's the wrong way to describe it. It's just like like that hockey analogy. You just There's just a feeling that, well, this is happening now. Yeah. So I'd best, you know, get my... I best start doing this. It really is, you know, it's, you've, you've done a lot of public speaking. There is always nervousness. In fact, I was going to say before the set last Friday night, my brother, my girlfriend, people I don't know are somewhere in that audience. There's 250 other people in that audience. And um, I was, you know, nervous. I start pacing around about 10 minutes before. And the comics are all kind of sitting in one area. And they're all young, younger than me, obviously. And, but one of them I've worked before uh, sort of looked up and smiled. And I smiled back. And I went, this is the part I hate. <laughs> it's like yeah. everything exactly. about it. I just hate that part. Hate it. Because no, I, I totally get it. I was a goalie in hockey. And, and that after you get all my equipment on, and so I'm not, I don't have anything really to think about, then it's like, oh, boy. Then the stomach would start to go a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. But it, is it fair to say that you know, step up on stage and and like adrenaline kicks in? Oh like, yeah, it's a different experience. Uh -huh. It's like the difference between so in the band that I'm in when we practice, it's great. But boy, when we're on stage, we're always a little bit faster, but it's always better. It's always a little bit tighter for sure. Yeah, more passion, and it's kind of like. Uh, like in speaking or playing, it's like it's like I just start playing and music is happening. I'm opening my mouth and words are coming out. You know, there's no way. To, I mean, I I have both 
performed in a, you know, loosely a band on stage, and I've also spoken in a non-comedic manner. And I, I say this with respect to all other forms of performance, which I've both experienced and observed. Uh, there's nothing like stand-up. And I, I can tell you this uh, from experiencing it firsthand. And that's not because it's better or worse. There's just nothing like that. The adre- Sometimes that adrenaline, I guess, I get is great. And sometimes you can tell if it's, if it's too much because I'll get, literally, I'll get dry mouth. Oh, I get I, it. I, I'm, it's almost overloaded. And so you have to kind of mitigate how nervous you are with, okay, let's calm the F down here because I've got to deliver it. And so last Friday I had had a really clear path to where I was going to start and where I wanted to end up. But what I was really concentrating on is the first two things I was going to say. And I wanted to make sure they were precise because once you sort of get that going, then it can kind of flow. But I've also had nights where I went up, I went up and I could tell immediately that I wasn't connecting. And it's mm-hmm. usually for the same reasons we, we have bad rounds or bad experiences. I just wasn't present. I wasn't in. Yeah. I wasn't in the moment. I was too trying to remember what to say. You know. Oh, exactly. You're trying to do it right, which is trying the same. To do it right. I get to find my golf swing right. And uh, I remember you year, a couple of years ago told me about this little technique that I use every once in a while when I go in front of a workshop or or a crowd, and I just look at people and go, "Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Oh yeah. You, you doing okay?" And just this little connection, and that helps me to connect because I, I think whatever you're doing, uh, it's all about connection. Well, what that does is it shows people you're in the room. Yeah. It shows people that you've walked on stage. I mean, you present, you're in front of a workshop, but by acknowledging some people, it shows the people that you're not acknowledging that you actually see that there are people in front of you and that they need to be, that you're seeing them and they're seeing you and we're all in the same room together. The other thing I do, and I still do it, is I, you know, I sort of whisper to myself in my head, remember, this isn't about you. This is no longer about you. And uh, just like, you know, just like golf, you can practice your swing, but at some point you have to play the game. And I started last Monday at 11 trying to learn this new order of my act and I'd written a whole bunch of new material and mm-hmm. I thought about it every day from 11 on Monday morning until I went on stage. I was the th- second person on until, let's say, 9.20. But when I got on, as I walked up, I can, I, it's over now. Whatever's yeah. going to happen is going to happen and it may not be exactly like I've been practicing all week. But uh, when it goes badly, people always ask, like, you know, you know, what's it like bombing? What bombing is is not being there. It's never the audience's fault. You want to right. blame them because, well, they're there not laughing. Because, you know, I don't, I don't kill every time. But when you bomb, it's because you're thinking too much about your swing yeah. and not about how to play. Yeah, and, and it's like, yeah, golf, improv, whatever. Talk, so if I'm in my head, I'm disconnected. I cannot be so being in my in my body in my connecting almost like heart to heart with people soul to soul. That's when I'm in my head. I'm disconnected from all of that. I don't even know what I feel, and I don't know what they feel. You know, in golf, sometimes we get this. You know, when we're having a you know maybe not a great hole or a disaster hole. You know, we've you know necked it off the tee, and then you have to hit again, and all those things. And you know, we've all experienced this. Everyone listening has experienced that feeling of it speeding up. Yeah, I can tell you, 
from having like super bombed a few times in my life where the circumstances were overwhelming, the audience wasn't maybe very good, or I couldn't connect with them, and literally standing on stage minute after minute, not getting any laughs, and in your head, you're just, it's like a stop motion, it's like you're just, your your brain is firing to find some way to get them back, and it just gets worse and worse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can see that that's like golf. My default, if I start, if if it's not, my ball striking's not, not good, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to default to going through the Rolodex of sling thoughts. Yes. Uh, oh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, if I do this with my left foot, everything would be great. <laughs> That's right. And I forgot then, to flare my left foot. And then it doesn't work. But that feeling of it all speeding up, that's what kind of, that's what it feels like to stand there, you know, your delivery gets worse, You, the punchlines aren't as funny. Whereas the opposite is true. You're fighting for your life. You're fighting for your life. Now, last Friday night, I happened to have a very good set. I did very well. I did 12 minutes. There's two middle spots of 12 minutes each. And I did really well at the end when I said, you know, thank you very much. I got a huge roar. But uh, my buddy asked me after how it went. And I said, well, because he's a bit of a golfer, too. I said, let me put it this way. Like, it was okay. I said it was 78 I shot 78, but it was a pretty oh. easy. It was a pretty easy course. Like I, I, I could have done better, you yeah. know. Like, but I, it was like I was a bit sloppy. But the course was so easy. Like when you get 250 people in a room and they're in a great mood and they've spent all this money and it's Friday night and they've dressed up and it's a thing. Believe me, they're going to laugh as much as they can. They wanna. They want to. Yeah. The next night I did a, a bar in Cambridge that has comedy once in a while. And believe me, there was only 100 people. They were part of three quarters of them were at a work Christmas party. They were hammered. Believe me, it was like a tough, that was like Carnoustie in the wind. It was just uh-huh. brutal. And, uh, and the, you know, I did 25 minutes off the top of the show, and it was tough. You know, it was tough to get them organized. It was tough to muster them. It was tough sledding. And that day, I think I shot 73, 74 on a much tougher course, but I, it was hard work. It was, it didn't, it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't easy. The night before, I was like Steve Martin. I was like, you know, Louis, I was ridiculous. I was getting laughs on things that weren't funny. It was just a, it was so much, it was so easy, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was in a, I was in a uh, restaurant, I guess maybe tavern last night with this dinner and there's this band up there and no one is paying attention because all these groups are there for the Christmas dinner, including the group I was with. And, um, these poor guys, I just thought, you know, I'm sure half of the people in the room were thinking like, will you go away, please? (laughs) No, exactly. Nice. They practice all week. You know, they're telling their friends they got a gig. Yeah. And they're making, you know, but in fact, they're just making it more difficult for people to have a, to talk and connect, which is why they're there. You know, Seinfeld, Seinfeld had a great observation about doing comedy in different rooms, in different situations, and following people, and going on first, and all those things. And he he maintains that it doesn't matter. You just have to learn to be great in every situation. Wow. And and you know, he's all he, he's a, a perfect example of somebody that is all you know process oriented. And he relies yeah. on the fact that 
if he does his process, that whether he goes on after, and this was in his early days, you know, whether he went on after the superstar of the day or he was the first up or the crowd was shitty or it was in a bad room and on and on and on. He just, he wanted to write jokes that no matter what the situation, the jokes, the foundation of his, his being was intact. And that's wow. why he's a rare, rare stand-up comic that's not a, you know, you know, when you watch him or talk, you hear him speak, he is the opposite of an insecure, I need your laughter to make me whole. In fact, he, he actually thinks the audience is not qualified to judge his comedy because he's a comedian and they're just a bunch of idiots sitting in a room. And he's like, how dare you tell me what's funny? I will tell you what's funny. And that's why when he does a joke that doesn't get a laugh, he's like, you're stupid because that's a funny joke. Well, that's that's the same. I, I picked up that same attitude. So there's a ha- Sam Harris podcast, you know, another yep. podcast by a very smart person. Um, and he was interviewing who's uh, Gervais? What's his first Ricky name? Gervais? Love him. Yeah, Ricky Gervais. He comes off with the same sort of thing. Is is that? Yeah, this 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 joke's above you, people. And if you get it, that's that's fine. And if you don't, fine too. Well, and also experience is a great teacher in that if I've done the joke a hundred times. You know, I know the magic trick, and I've seen it a hundred times get a laugh in this spot, and if you don't laugh, it doesn't mean I'm not funny. It doesn't mean that you're not funny either, but it just doesn't, it means it didn't connect with you, but as a younger guy, comedian, I just took it so personally. It it was debilitating for me to the point where, you know, I just didn't want to do it anymore because of the consequences of doing poorly were too much for me but now you know i've been doing this joke recently and it it has worked every time i've done it so when i do it now i've only been doing it for a week or two you tell the joke is it a deadly joke what's that is it a deadly joke will we die from hearing it sorry that's (laughs) no an old monkey python skit you know sorry see there's a great joke you just told that has no reference for me but it, was, okay. it doesn't matter. Uh, but anyway, the point of the joke is I've been doing it now for a week or two, and I've done it in front of different audiences, and every time I do it, they laugh, uh, I, even in telling it to a friend of mine. Now, obviously, if I tell you now, you know you know it's a joke, but it doesn't matter. When you see me on stage, I do this joke now. It, so I already know where the laugh is because it's happened in the same spot, and that's part of what you do as a comic. You go, you try it out, you think it's funny, it has the rhythm of a joke, and it gets a laugh. Now, if I did it tomorrow night and it doesn't get a laugh, I'm not going it, to... It, it's no reflection of me. Maybe I, Or maybe I didn't quite do it the right way, or I'll listen back and go, oh, shit, I left that part out. Like right. what you just said. For me to know what you were re- referencing, I'd have to know what you were talking about, right? Right. Not Absolutely. that it wasn't funny, but it's just that you just didn't quite... And that's what it is sometimes. You know, there's a premise, there's a setup. Now, those are the most important part of a joke. Most mm-hmm. people don't realize. They think it's the punchline. But what they're reacting to is you've set up a situation that has a little tension in it. Right. And what the laugh does is relieves the tension. That's the formula. So here's the joke. I say, I uh, just got back from the States. You know, there are different people. We all know that. I'm not, I'm not going to do some, you know, Canadians are different than Americans. But I said, you know, there's a couple things that you may not know that are different that are kind of subtle but weird i said for instance in canada i said it's a shoe i see i've already screwed it up i say it's a shoes on shoes off situation and right away the audience is going what do you mean i said it's like this in canada if you come to somebody's house you know you're more likely gonna take your shoes off in the states if you go to somebody's house 
they'll shoot you in the face. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> now every time I do it, it gets that laugh because it's you're not expecting me to say that. You're well, expecting surprise. It's a, it's a surprise. It's a surprise, but I but the premise. See, I and I say I screwed it up because you have to hear it's a shoes on, shoes off thing. Because right. right away some people go, oh yeah, because they know in the states most people leave their shoes on. Right. I don't know if you knew that, but that's kind of their tradition. In ca- well, that's where my mind immediately went. I went, right. oh, shoes off. Well, that means what he's getting to. Oh, yeah, see that Americans do that because maybe they're selfish or something. Right. So the way I say it is in Canada, so once I get to the – so the, the premise is I came back from the States. They're different. I'm, I'm not going to do some you know hack bullshit. Then the setup is it's a shoes on, shoes off policy. For instance, in Canada, you know, you go to someone's home, you take your shoes off. Oh. In the States, if you go to somebody's home – pause they shoot you in the face now that's not what you're expecting but i know it's coming right. and, and the the magic magical part the magical part is being able to hide it right and the better you can hide it the bigger the 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 release is now every time i've done that joke it gets a laugh in the right spot so if the audience back to using this as a golf analogy you know you're usually a pretty good good putter but there are times when you're going to have a bad putting green, a bad putting round. But our golfer mentality is, I'm a bad putter. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, this is uh, by way of saying uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and your whores, and it's been fun. I, um, Did you say Merry Christmas to you and your whores? <laughs> that's what it sounded like. I'm like, wow, that's a bit, that's that's a bit aggressive, you know? Was, right, no, to you, <laughs> to you, you and, and yours, yours, you and your whores. Wow, no, I, whores, I appreciate yeah, that. Maybe. Well, you could go all over the place with that. Um, I wish you and yours uh, very happy. And to all our listeners, our faithful yeah. listeners of the podcast, may you all have lovely holiday season and may 2020 be full of good health and good stuff and maybe not a lot of three putts. And I would say finally, I uh, all those in the – I would – if you could give a gift this holiday season to yourself, give yourself the gift of uh, – caring a little bit less it's like tim tells his uh his uh golf team you know what's the phrase care care i I slightly don't care slightly don't care or slightly care less and i think it's a great gift to give to yourself to slightly care less each day to the point where you don't care at all because that would be the the transition to enlightenment uh that's that's buddha level awareness Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. You're a you're a mensch. You're a menchy man. You're a good boy. Uh, all the best to you, Sandy, and the children. Uh, don't hang up. I'll just do. We have a couple little uh, housekeeping things. Uh, thanks to TaylorMade and Adidas. Did you want to have a, a final thought as I'm playing the music and you say goodbye? Yeah. Well, I especially like to thank. Um, uh, Taylor made and Adidas for yet another great year. Thanks for your support. Love your stuff. Love wearing it, playing it. And mostly thanks to our listeners. There's no point in doing this unless people listen. And uh, we get some pretty good comments. 
and it's just great to know that we connect with people. And so thank you very much for uh, your patronage. How's that? Yeah, I love that. And uh, thank you to you, sir. And to you, Howard. Howard. (laughs) Well, I don't want to call you humble. Howard is more like connection. You can call me whatever you want. All the best to you, my brother. Okay. Do you want me to hang in? Wow, there you go. Hold on. Let me.